Thank you for joining Ironworks Church this morning as we are worshiping together. Once again, my name is Robbie. I'm the pastor here at the congregation in Westchester, and it's my joy to bring you God's word this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 91 uh, today, but as we come to this text, let's just take a moment to, again, admit where we're coming from. Perhaps you're weary this morning. You're exhausted. Perhaps you did not sleep well. Perhaps you're simply exhausted just from the chaos of this past week. Perhaps uh, you are anxious Wondering if God is, even cares. Perhaps you're anxious where, as you're wondering and worrying, questioning how you're going to be paying the bills in the next few weeks and months. Perhaps your kids are chaotic right now. Your dogs are, or pets are running around and it's hard for you to be present and focused. That's okay. That's okay because God does not demand us to put any of those things aside when we come to him. Where God actually says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. So we are taking God up on that promise that really invitation to come to him when we have a lot of things going on in our lives. Because God does not ask us to come to him, leaving all those things behind, but to come to him as we are. And we're coming to God looking for him to speak words of love and comfort and calm into our lives. So that's why we're looking at Psalm 91 uh, this morning. So let's hear these loving words. And I'm reading from Psalm 91 verses 1 through 16 from the English Standard, Standard Version. Here's God's word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If I say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. This word that is meant to encourage us and strengthen us amid the trials, tribulation, and crisis of life. So Father, we come to you looking for you to guide us and to instruct us and to teach us your ways that we would walk with you all the days of our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Edwin Friedman in his book, generation to generation, introduced two ideas, the idea of anxious presence and the idea of a non-anxious presence. What Friedman was pointing out is that all the brokenness in the world, all the sin in the world, all the dysfunction in the world sh really shape us to be anxious people. And to thrive and flourish, to grow in our lives, we need to be non-anxious people. And in so many ways, he was right, but there were also several things that he got wrong in his book. But the, what I really want to think about this morning is where does our anxiety come from? 
Where does our fear come from? And what is the solution to these things? How can we, in fact, cultivate not so much a non-anxious presence, but more, how can we cultivate a loving presence? Because these are questions I want to explore this morning. For as followers of Jesus Christ, we're actually called to be his very presence in this world as we must reflect his love to the world. And so as we go through uh, this main idea of How do we cultivate a loving presence? There are three uh, points I want us to consider. First is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Well, just think about that for a moment. What are you afraid of? This psalm that we just read, Psalm 91, lists several things that are actually common answers. Disease, sickness, failing health, darkness, and nighttime. Wild animals, violence, war, and evil. The list goes on and on and on. And the emotion of fear, in many ways, reminds us that we have limits. Because we have limits because we are creatures. We are not the creator. Instead, we are uh, the creatures of this world. And so on that note right there, I just wanted to point out that there actually is a goodness to fear. Consider the proverb, fear. Of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. We're not the creator of the universe. Instead, we are the creator's creations. We are not the one in in control, but we serve the one who is in control. Consider an example. The other day, my young son discovered a spider. And he pointed it out to me. And as he was pointing it out to me on the floor, he's like, Daddy, come look it. Come look it. Come look it. As he's pointing at it, he's also backing away slowly, one inch at a time. And then he would like jump onto a bench while still pointing at the spider and saying, Daddy, look it. His curi- he was curious and he, his curious eyes never wavered, but he was afraid. He did not know what was crawling on the floor. Right there, I just want to point out is that f- fear, like fear reveals to us that we do not know everything. Fear reveals to us that, and that it really is a motivation for us to avoid dangerous situations. And my son was pointing out at that moment that things were beyond him. He didn't know what it was. In fact, he was vulnerable and scared. And we can succumb to spider bites. We all know that spider bites can actually cause itchiness. Some of them are, are, are devastating, like black, black widows bite and more. But also spiders eat mosquitoes. They're pretty good. We enjoy mosquitoes, especially during the summertime. And so right now, we are all very aware that we are a vulnerable people. We are very aware of our vulnerability right now. That has been impacted. That has been exacerbated to us and revealed to us by our current crisis. And some of us are more vulnerable, and we are aware of that vulnerability now more than others are. We are all more vulnerable than we thought. But the real problem in our lives is not our vulnerability. Our problem is not our vulnerability. Instead, fear, as fear points out our vulnerabilities to us, fear also exposes our priorities to us. Consider, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of getting sick? So is your health and your well-being really the most important thing in your life? Is, are you afraid of and wondering how are you going to pay your bills? Consider, is your income more, the most important thing in your life. All of us are being impacted by the current crisis. And, and again, many in our churches are, are suffering in unique ways. But what I'm asking you right now is, what are you afraid of? And what 
priorities of yours are being exposed to you right now. Because all these things that we can think about from our family's health, our well-being, our income, retirement, wedding days, baby showers, romantic getaways, and the list goes on. All these things are good things. But the problem is, is when those things I just listed become the main goal and priority and the thing of ultimacy in our lives. Our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless. And so what we do when when we're being fidgety and restless like that, we want to take these good things and make them the ultimate thing in our life. Because we will do everything and anything that we can to find rest. Consider some examples from significant cultural leaders in our time. Madonna. She said this, I have an iron will and all of my life has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being mediocre. That's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. David Letterman put it differently. He put it this way. Every night, that you go on television and go on, on a show every night that you're trying to prove yourself worth. How things go for me every night after a show is how I'm going to feel about myself for the next 24 hours. See, what's going on in our lives right now is that this crisis that we are all experiencing is revealing our lack of control. It's revealing our vulnerability. It's revealing our priorities. And the wise course of action in any crisis is for us to pause, to consider and to face our our vulnerability and examine our hope. Asking ourselves, what have I been looking for to have security and significance in life? Because more often than not, we don't do those things. We actually go in our default where we never re-examine our life and our priorities. And many of us try to deal with our anxiety and our fear by getting more information because as we have more information, we think we are more in control where we are able to predict the future. Others try to deal with our anxiety by getting busy with distractions, entertainment, or projects because it feels like we're not going to be defeated. All these things are examples of really an anxious presence. But here is an example of an anxious presence. And this, is, this example, this commentary comes from Mark Sayers. He is a pastor in Australia. He's an author, a, an expert on revival. And he's a co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, This Cultural Moment. So if you talk about, me, talk about podcasts with me, you know this is one that I, I talk about quite a, a, quite a I talk to a lot. I listen to a lot of it. But he aptly points out that our culture is asking an anxious question right now. This is what he says. In the U.S., how many people do we let die in order to keep the economy going? That's the question that our culture is asking. But he goes on to say this. What we are seeing is that we have created a culture that has no resilience. The culture cannot imagine a life of of what we want The culture cannot imagine a life of not doing what we want or when we want it. And this crisis is revealing to us just how delicate and weak we are. That is why we are being an anxious presence. And so the question that I encourage you and and plead with you to think about this morning is, what are you afraid of? But there's good news. There is a remedy and there's a hope to our fearful and anxious presence. This is our se- the second question I want you to consider. What is your hope in life? 
Yesterday, Pastor Darren and I were doing some prep for today's service. So naturally, naturally, Darren was under this lovely stage behind me, getting ready for today. He was fixing some lights. And my oldest son was with me, and he was intrigued by what Darren was doing. But instead of going over to the entrance to crawl under the stage himself, he came over to me and asked me to come over there with him. He was simultaneously, once again, just as with the spider, he was simultaneously curious and afraid. And the remedy to his fear in that moment was to have someone stronger, bigger, there alongside him. The remedy to our fears and our anxiety needs to be in the one who has actually faced all our fears. He has gone ahead of us. He has defeated our, our greatest enemies as well. And so in other words, our hope must be in Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus' Jesus's incarnation is that he is with us. Isaiah put it this way, that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is fully human and he is fully divine. He, and yet Jesus is born into the misery of sin where he experiences poverty, hunger, injustice, and more. Because of Jesus' humanity, because he identifies with us, he is the one who has solidarity with us. He even goes into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. And he is tempted in every respect that we are. And yet he was victorious over every temptation and trial that is common to, to man. He was victorious over sin and temptation. And so even when Jesus died upon the cross, where he died an unjust death, where he faced a rigged trial, where he faced corrupt religious leaders and politicians, even though Jesus died upon the cross, he went on to defeat our greatest enemy. He went on to defeat death. As Jesus was buried in another man's tomb, that three days later, Jesus walked out of that tomb. And that is the resurrection because Jesus identified with us in our humanity, because he died upon the cross for our sins, what the Holy Spirit does in our life is that the Holy Spirit unites us to him. And so that we can actually say that I have died. I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. That we are able to say that I have been raised from the dead in Christ. This is our hope. This is the hope that we have because God did all of this for you because he loves you. Every person of the triune God is for you and he is working for your salvation. And this is why the apostle John in 1 John 4:18 said this, that perfect love casts out fear. So again, going back to this question, what is your hope? Our only hope is the love of God. And that love of God, that God's love is meant to drive out our fear. And when we experience the love of God through Jesus Christ, we can accurately and aptly say, just like the psalmist says here in Psalm 91, that I will put my trust in the Lord, that the Lord is my refuge and my, my fortress. He is my shelter and I will abide in the shelter of the Almighty. See, God's love is meant to cast out your fear. He loves you. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. And he is committed to seeing you grow in Christ. This is why God gives you his Holy Spirit. The same spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness, into temptation to, to, to suffer for you is given to you. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. The Holy Spirit is given to you, not so that you would be slaves who would cower in fear, 
but instead that we would enjoy being sons and daughters of God. That is why the Spirit is given to us, so that we would enjoy life with God. And the significance of the Holy Spirit is tremendous for us. And Lauren Winter, she, she's the author of this book, Girl Meets God, and she explains the Christian hope in this way. The Holy Spirit is the way God dwells in us, works in us. And even though we are down here on, on earth and God the Father and the Son are up there in heaven, the Spirit is the reason we Christians can do anything. The reason we do not live paralyzed in fear of messing up. The Spirit is the reason we can build a church and have confidence that we will at, get, at least, excuse me, that we have confidence that we will get it at least a little bit right. Just to zoom in on the key sentence there, the Spirit is the reason we do not live paralyzed in fear. God is the remedy to our fear. When our fear of God increases, our fear of everything else will diminish. And thankfully, God's grace is abundant because he knows we have an imperfect faith. He knows that it is easy for us to be driven by fear. It is easy for us to be driven by the spirit of this age and have anxious hearts. And it's vital it's imperative for us to remember that we are not Christians because we have our act together. We are not Christians because of our theology or our morality. Instead, we are Christians because we are loved by God. We, we are Christians because we are loved by God and because of whom we put our faith in. Because the one we put our faith in is perfect. So we can know God's love that is given to us. And so when we look to God to be our refuge, then we will actually stop to be an anxious presence and start being a loving presence. And this is at what the, our world, this is what our family, this is what our neighborhoods, this is what we, that what you need most right now is we need the presence of Christ. And so how do we cultivate a loving presence? And this is the third question to, to think about this morning. How do you cultivate a loving presence? Well, we cultivate a loving presence by picking up new rhythms where we pick up new rhythms to help us. And we don't do these rhythms. We don't embark on these disciplines or practices to earn God's love or grace for us. That actually completely distorts Christianity. Instead, we pick up these rhythms. We pick up these disciplines to experience God's love and to experience God's presence. And so we need to pick up rhythms that help us grow in our love for our neighbor and our love of God. And to be very practical, here are four very specific rhythms to pick up. First, fundamentally, we need to let God's story define and shape our life as opposed to letting the world's story shape our lives. And so we, need, we do that by beginning our day and ending our day, both in scripture and prayer. Before you look at your phone, spend time praying and reading God's word. At the end of the day, list a few things that, it, that, that you are thankful for. Praise God for those things. Because in the stillness and the solitude of those moments, we are able to clearly name our anxieties and take them before God and entrust them to him because he will attend to us through his word as we come before him. Secondly, intentionally consider how much news and social media that you are taking in. And if you're going to, and when, not if, but and when you listen to the news and when you look on social media, do so at key times in your day. The truth is that we are so connected and so informed that it takes only a moment for us to be overwhelmed by the sheer information out there today. 
And personally, what this means for me personally is that when I'm at my computer more throughout the day than I have been, it means turning off my app notifications from Apple News. That's the second thing. Third, have healthy conversations where you share clear feelings and needs, but don't let the crisis dominate your time. So what this looks like is for you to have conversations with friends where you, and loved ones where you name your feelings, where you talk about them and explore why you are feeling them. So it looks like this, very specifically, I'm anxious because, I'm afraid because. And so at the dinner table, do that there, do it later on in the day. Talk about the highs and the lows of your day. Do those things where you have healthy conversations to clear what's going on in your heart and your mind. And lastly, and this may be surprising to you, but simply recognize that you have a body to take care of. Eat healthy, get some sleep, and, and exercise. We all know these things. We know that we have a body and it's important for us to care for our body. But just recognize that we are irritable when we get less sleep. We are irritable when we do not eat well. If you're sitting down at a computer all day, get up and walk around, stretch, go running, go on bike rides. Do so with friends. These things are appropriate for us to do within social distance, the season of social distancing. This cringeworthy season of social distancing. So let me wrap this up. Again, we don't do any of these rhythms to earn God's favor. God's love for you has been given to you freely because of Jesus. That is God's grace. Instead, we do these things to experience God's love and grace given to you. So as we look to, to God, who is a safe harbor amid the storms of life, let's recognize that we find shelter. Let's experience the shelter in his wings. As we look to Jesus, who is the great physician amid sickness, we find healing from the great contagion that is sin. And, and as we look to God, we find that we have the confidence to face the brokenness of the world. And that is because we have this promise from God. Do not fear. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have that confidence because God is with us, because God has already gone before us and defeated our greatest enemy. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful uh, picture of hope and trust that we have here in this psalm. And Father, we ask that you would help us to be shaped and strengthened by your word in the coming days and weeks ahead. So Father, we ask that you would be with us. May, may, we see, may we see your spirit's fruit in our life. And may we experience your love and grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.